The Body Keeps the Score. This is a book that I've always wanted to read, but never got a chance to. And the other day I was listening to a podcast, The Ezra Klein Show, and he interviewed the author of the book. And my oh my, it was such an insightful interview. Goodbye diets and hello sustainable health. I'm Elise, dietitian and nutritionist based in the Silicon Valley. I believe that we all deserve an effortless relationship with food without obsession. The book is all about how trauma affects the body and how the body holds on to it. And the reason I'm drawn to trauma work and seeing the world through a trauma lens is we've all likely experienced some form of trauma. I know I'm getting close to being out of my scope when it comes to talking about this stuff. So if you're a therapist, please let's have a dialogue about this episode. I would love to pick your brain on your views of trauma, but from my eyes, there's little traumas and big traumas and traumas in between. And I think there are certain memories that affect us to this day. And to me, in my eyes as a lay person, I think that that qualifies as a little bit of a trauma. If memories are still sticking to you that affect the way that you behave and the way that you do things and are ultimately not serving you in a positive way, I almost wonder if that initial experience, that memory is a form of trauma. And so when I was listening to that interview of how the body keeps score, one of the things that stood out to me is when someone has a memory of something that's neutral or positive, the stories that they tell of that experience changes over time. But for someone who's experienced trauma, something bad, the story never changes. It always is a constant story with the same details. It just shows how impactful that experience is and the kind of ruminating loop that it has in our day-to-day functioning. Most of the time, it's subconscious. These memories are in our subconscious, laying dormant. And some of the time, it's affecting our bodies in a psychosomatic way. The thing is, we all have this deep desire to belong and feel connected with other humans. But a lot of the times with trauma, it blunts the way we interact with other humans. It makes genuine connection really, really tough. And so what ends up happening is we shy away from human connection or at least really deep, genuine human connection. And one of the easiest outs is food. And we develop this real relationship with food, which for a lot of us, it's our source of comfort. It's our source of home. It's our source of coziness. And whether or not it's serving you, there is a role for it. It's protecting you. It's a great coping mechanism, much better than some other things like drugs and alcohol. And so when your body has no way of fulfilling one of its most innate desires, which is connect and belong, because trauma is really isolating and it's full of shame, then food is an inanimate object that doesn't require us to do anything that doesn't have any any expectations and it's just there for us when we need it. So of course it makes sense that so many of us go towards food for comfort and feelings of coziness. Now I'm going to get real vulnerable and share with you one of my little traumas and why it propelled me towards food so much. 
So as you all probably know, I did ballet as a child. And yes, it was a lot of looking in the mirror. But honestly, that wasn't really the trigger for my eating issues. It was really when I went into middle school and high school, I was one of maybe three Asian kids at my school and everyone else was white (laughs) and very privileged. I lived in Marin County right above the Golden Gate Bridge in the Bay Area and it's just a really wealthy privileged area to live in. Think two Whole Foods within a half mile radius of each other. Think houses in the hills with views of the bay. Think women who could belong with Gwyneth Paltrow and her posse at Goop. It was just that vibe. And as someone whose parents immigrated from China to the States when I was four, I was technically considered an immigrant. And of course, so were my parents. And so I didn't speak the language upon coming here at four. My parents didn't speak the language. And I just felt so alienated and ashamed living in such a privileged, homogeneously white area in the Bay. And so I never, ever felt like I belonged. I always felt less than. I never felt cool enough, pretty enough, wealthy enough, smart enough. I was really embarrassed of my parents growing up because they didn't know the language. One of my first memories was going to the grocery store and we were at the cash register and they were putting in their credit card and my dad didn't know how to push the right buttons on the cash register. So me as like an eight-year-old child, I had to do that in front of everyone. People looked at me probably thinking, why is this eight-year-old child punching in the cash register buttons? And I just had to do that because my parents didn't know the language. The amount of shame and embarrassment I I lived through (laughs) throughout my adolescence, it was just so tough. And so I never invited friends over to my place. I never um, knew how to really make deep, meaningful connections with people because one, I was ashamed of who I was, or at least my parents and being an immigrant. And two, I just really like, even from a visual perspective, I felt so different. Like no one was Asian and the people that were Asian were either halfies or they were like fourth generation Asian and their parents were super whitewashed and very well off. So, so many differences in terms of background, language, wealth, status, you name it, the whole shebang. I just felt different and I didn't feel like I belonged. Now, I never thought of this as trauma and to this day, I don't want to ever blow this out of proportion, but in a way, it was kind of traumatic. I really, for the majority of my teens until my 20s, really didn't have friends. I didn't know how to make friends and I didn't feel included. And at that pivotal developmental age, I didn't know what to do. I had no coping mechanisms. I had no feeling of connection to my peers. And so food was my outlet It was something I could control because you can't control making friends. You can't control belongingness. You can't control any any of that. You can't control feeling enough and worthy and all of those intangible things. So when I was in high school, I started to really restrict because I wanted to be a pretty cool girl that fit in. And all of the pretty cool girls were were beautiful. And then um, finally, my body 
called it quits and I was like, no, thank you. We don't like this restriction thing. And then I swung to the other, other end. So when people tell me that they eat food for comfort, I can just imagine how complex that relationship is. I know that there are layers and layers and memories and memories and little traumas and big traumas involved. I can just picture how that relationship became so comforting and soothing. So when someone tells me that I eat emotionally or I eat for comfort, I never underplay the significance of that. That's why my work has never been about the food. I literally, if you've worked with me before, you know, I barely tell you anything about food. (laughs) You would have to like pull it out of me to be like, what are some foods I should be eating? Because I don't really, I just think that there are so many upstream factors that we have to untangle before we ever, ever get to the food. One, of course, is body image, how your body image was shaped when you were little and young and your family and all the messaging. And then even beyond that is what... What have you carried into your adult life that relates to food, but maybe also related to really tough memories or little traumas or maybe even big traumas? And whenever there's a really substantial trauma involved, I always, always, always hope and recommend that you have a therapist working with you before you start working with me. Because as much as I want to get to know the context of your relationship with food, I sometimes am wildly out of my scope when someone tells me of maybe sexual abuse or other traumas. I just, that is out of my wheelhouse, but I can totally understand how that relates to how you eat and how you see your body and the role of food for you in your life. The real summary and takeaway for me as I'm learning more about trauma as it relates to our relationship with food is We all are just trying to protect ourselves. Sometimes after trauma, we forget or black out those memories so that we can still function because we got to keep going in society and protect ourselves. Sometimes we numb our emotions and disconnect from our emotions because that's easier than feeling all the feelings post-trauma. And honestly, that was me for a long time. I just didn't even know how to feel. I barely cried. I knew I was getting better when I started to cry more, but for the longest time I felt cold. And I think that was my body shutting down so that it could protect myself from too many highs and lows and too many extreme emotions. So again, another form of protection. And then finally, you know, with food, that's another form of protection, whether it's maybe your survival of sexual abuse, eating more food and having a bigger body reduces the attention you get from the world and especially of men. And so that's a form of protection. So I think in so many ways, the body does know, the body does keep score. And whether it's ultimately serving you, your relationship with food and body, only you know best. The body is so much wiser than we give it credit. I definitely recommend if you've never heard of this connection before, the connection between trauma or just the concept of trauma in general, I highly recommend the podcast interview I listened to. Again, it's the Ezra Klein show um, and he interviewed the author of The Body Keeps the Score. I will definitely be reading that book in the future. And if you have read that book and you want to have a dialogue with me, I would love to. I would love to know your take on it. So please tag me in this podcast episode and tell me about what you learned from the book or the podcast interview. I would love to learn more on this topic and 
Trust me, I am doing my own therapy on a biweekly basis. I'm getting to the heart of all of this. What I realized the other day, it was kind of like a moment of epiphany. I started to ask, you know, why do I go to therapy? What's the point of therapy? And why do we talk about the word processing all the time? What the heck is processing? (laughs) And the realization was we have these painful memories or traumas and In order to let go of those painful memories and traumas, we have to process those memories again. We have to feel those feelings. We have to accept that it happened. And once we accept, then we can let go. So really the reason I go to therapy is so I can process those memories and traumas with my therapist, sit in that feeling, sit in the suck for a little bit, and accept them once I'm done processing my emotions around it, and then I can let go. Really, the only way to let go is to accept that it happened, and then we can all move on with our lives and do things in a way that serve us ultimately. And as I look back on my life and all that I've accomplished today and in the future, when I imagine my future self being really successful and being that person that I want to be, The only thing I can really say is, wow, all of my life led me up to this point. This is so hackneyed of a saying, but it hit me. I want you to take this time and reflect on yourself too. If you can imagine yourself five, 10 years from now, being the person you want to be, doing the things that you want to do, what would you say to your current self? What would you say to a past version of yourself? When I did this exercise, I really, my, my reflection was, you did it, Elise. You did it. You achieved all you wanted to achieve. You're this person that you've always wanted to be. And none of this would have happened if you didn't experience all of the things that you've experienced up until now. The good, the bad, the ugly, they all came together. And that's why you are who you are today. That's exactly why you've been so successful. You are this person you want to be, generous, caring, hosting great parties, having this beautiful house. Like that is me manifesting my future. (laughs) So you can rewrite the script. You can rewrite your future. You don't have to live by those painful memories. You don't have to have those painful memories subconsciously affecting everything that you do. I know one of my limiting beliefs that comes from my traumas is you're not good enough. Who are you to do this? Um, You're just this Asian kid who's quiet and shy and doesn't belong. None of that is serving me. So I'm rewriting my script. I don't have to live by those words. I don't have to fall into that story. I can be whoever I want to be and I am enough. So you are enough. You can rewrite your script and it doesn't have to be based on the traumas you've experienced in your past. With that, thank you so much for listening. This was a really raw and vulnerable episode and we all have our stuff and just know that There's always the future. Things will always get better as long as we process through our stuff and we write a new script. So let's write a new script together and I will talk to you all next week.